I need to unleash King with the old lady. If we didn't have meat on the table three times a day, but it's still that way with me. It mm -hmm. seems like when you ain't got some meat on the table, you just ain't got nothing. Welcome back, everybody, to It Still Lives, back here with TJ this month, and we are going to be focusing on um, foodways again. We're going to talk about smokehouses today because this is the month that the new cookbook is finally released. Yeah, it's um, kind of exciting time around here. You sound very excited. I'm really excited. I'm, <laughs> I'm reining in my excitement. So if you listened to our fourth episode on wood stove cooking you'll hear us talk a little bit more in depth about the cookbook but basically it is a heavily revised edition of the 1984 publication of the foxfire book of appalachian cookery and tj was able to put out a revised edition that i think is pretty phenomenal so you guys can grab that now actually it is available so the, the biggest change in the new cookbook that uh, we're putting out is the addition of a chapter entirely on smokehouses, which wasn't present in the other cookbooks. It was the most delicious thing I've ever written. Um, getting a chance to dig into that material. And, um, so going through and, and reading this process about this larger process of smoking meat using using a smokehouse, not just smoking, but curing, was really interesting. I've always wanted to to do something in a smokehouse because they're just so neat to me. And if you've ever walked into like an older, like a smokehouse on somebody's property, you can still smell it in that space. And that smell is just so, it's just like this perfect combination of, of you smell the spices, but you really smell the smoke. You know that meat's been in there. <laughs> it's, that's a weird thing to say, but it's just like, it's a sacred space. <laughs> and we have a smokehouse here at Foxfire and it's something that we've, you know, talked about, man, it'd be so cool if we could, like, fire up the smokehouse and actually do some curing in the smokehouse. Unfortunately, as we find out through our interviews, it's not really something people do anymore that way. We all probably don't really think about cured meat anymore. Most people just buy their meat from a butcher at the yep. grocery store, unless you are on the charcuterie board wave which is very trendy right now. <laughs> um, you probably will recognize some cured meats. Um, so the most common ones in America are like bacon, um, prosciutto, pepperoni, summer sausage. Down here, country ham is really big. Mm -hmm. And uh, corned beef. So most of those are actually pork products, except for pastrami, which is cured beef. And corn beef. corn beef, obviously, yeah. but pepperoni, oddly enough, is a combination of pork and beef. So I didn't know that. That was interesting to learn. But some of the other cured meats that you might see on your uh, charcuterie board usually tend to be Italian. Right. Um, and those probably aren't as common because um, they tend to be a little bit pricier, which is interesting now that cured meat is so expensive and trendy because right <laughs> as the irony with a lot of foods that are in style right now they used to be people um you know made those meats or those foods to survive it's it's out of this i mean it's purely necessity is literally yeah. everywhere now 
but I mean, we're talking about a food that was like came out of the need for basic survival and, and getting protein yeah. uh, in, in lean times uh, in a way of, of, you know, especially if you're killing something large, making sure that meat doesn't go to waste. Yeah, stretching it as far as possible. Right. And when you are curing meat, you typically are heavily salting it. Right. And you're also curing things that have a high fat content. And those types of meat tend to impart more flavor. Um, so you tend to use less, which stretches it even further. So it's a, you know, there's a lot of practicality to curing meat. So today we're going to mostly be focusing on pigs because um, although people in southern Appalachia had cows, they were primarily dairy cows. So cows were like too precious to kill. And if they did kill the cows um, for meat, they usually didn't cure the meat. But uh, pigs were most common around here in terms of cured meat. So pigs were domesticated over 7,000 years ago in China. Um, And then they became a really popular um, livestock in Europe, especially around the time of the Middle Ages. Pigs did not become introduced to North America, though, until Columbus and all the other Spanish explorers came over. Um, At that time, Native Americans began eating pork once pork became um, nativized. Even before pork was available in North America, the Native Americans were drying meat. Um, which is a form of curing meat, and that was typically done in, you know, a teepee or an earth lodge over a fire, but it could also just be done in the sun. So these are processes that are ancient um, all across the world that were adapted to new forms of meat. So um, in the 1500s, the mid-1500s, even though Columbus had brought, obviously, quite a few animals and products with him over, Hernando de Soto, the explorer, is credited with being quote-unquote, the father of the American pork industry, um, because he brought over Iberico pigs, which are now considered a heritage breed. And um, there's actually a place just outside of Savannah called Osaba Island that has a free-range hog known as the Osaba Island hog um, that's thought to be almost a direct descendant from the Iberico pigs because they were on an island and have become pretty self-contained genetically speaking so obviously now (laughs) when you go to the store you're not buying a heritage breed if you're picking up just a pork tenderloin from your grocery store and that is all thank you to the mass production of pork and a huge part of that was the emergence of refrigerated train cars in the 1870s 1880s which really shifted the pork center from ohio from cincinnati which was known as porkopolis <laughs> to chicago i kind of want to live in porkopolis that sounds like that sounds like the place for me so chicago quickly became the center of pork production and refrigerated train cars allowed them to ship pork across the entire country obviously in order to support that industry breeders began focusing on pork that had high yield results, as in terms of reproduction and size. Um, And in America, the most common one is the Yorkshire pig, which is the cute little pink pig. Heritage breeds are like black, Mm -hmm. spotted. So if you're interested in learning more about heritage breeds, um, there's a website called thelivestockconservancy.org, and we'll post that link on our webpage. But it's pretty interesting to kind of see some of these 
these different pigs out there. Right, and you, you were showing me the other day the Osawa Island, that they have like this like festival. Around yeah, a pig, pig roast, yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> really cool. Food festivals are amazing, but anything that's around pork, pig, and barbecue, I'm there. You must be from the South. I'm not <laughs> Just kidding. Um, now we're going to dive into some of the interviews. And the first interview we have is actually the most recent uh, that we're going to feature today. And that comes from J.C. Stubblefield, who was interviewed in 1998. And they're walking through their property and he's pointing out some of their old outbuildings and they stop by their smokehouse. Let's see, Uncle Jay, why don't we do that one right there? What's that one? We That's built that for a smokehouse way back then. When we was killing hog, we put a meat up there to cure them in the wintertime, you know. Put it up there to cure. Okay, and what's it made out of? It's made out of oak lumber. What is it made out of? Oak lumber? Oak lumber. And it's got a tin roof? Tin roof. And how big would you say it is? That's a, I believe it was a, Seven by eight, I believe, is what I made that. Okay. Seven foot by eight foot. I think that's what it is. And it what's was. it sitting up on? Big rocks? It's sitting, sitting on big rocks. I've had plenty of rocks, and I just used rocks. Back in, I didn't know what a, a block was. Mm -hmm. yeah. About how old would you say it is? Well, I'd say it was, must be at least 40 years old. And maybe older. Did you have it when you were uh, young, or did you build no, it? No, I built it. I built it myself. Probably fifty years old. It may be. I don't know. I built it myself. And what kinds of things did you use to put in it when it was a smokehouse? Uh, we just used meat? meat, pork. Just pork. Just did pork. Have, did you have cattle then too? Or? We had cattle, but we didn't. We didn't kill much Listen, meat. I'm going to leave. I've got some on cooking. I smell it. Burn it up. <laughs> uh, Burning yourself, or Uncle Jack. Now, where did I get to? Telling me that you didn't have, you didn't have cattle, or you did have, but you didn't kill them. We didn't kill them then, but later we did. But we didn't use that to put them in. We hunt, we killed the beef. It's cold enough in the wintertime. Just hang it on the back porch. When, when you want some, I think cut you off what you want. And it was, was it? Beef. It was just hanging there. Just hanging there. Back in, back in, you could do that, but you can't do that now. Yeah, it's not cold enough. It's not reason. cold enough. When we have any cold weather now, you know, be two or three days, maybe it's cold. We'd have, we in some warm days, and that's when your meat was spoiled. It's cold, then you get turned warm, it's spoiled on Okay, so now we're going to get into the meat of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Dad jokes for days. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so now we're going to, now we're going to share two just really great interviews. One comes from Buck Carver. He was interviewed several times by Foxfire students on just about everything. He's a Foxfire treasure. He's one yeah, of those. And, yeah. and several of his, well, uh, his, one of his youngest daughters or his, well, she's a twin. So she is the youngest daughter, uh, Kay Carver, now Kay Collins, um, She's she's been somebody who's been part of this organization since she was in high school, yeah. in varying degrees, and uh, yeah, Buck's Buck's one of my favorite people. Um, but he he shares a lot about how to actually cure meat, um, and then that's followed up by a 1989 interview with Sally Beatty. How did you smoke your meat? 
Uh, I used Hickwood, and I worked with the Dillards uh, several years over there. And back when they grew and, and slaughtered and cured their own meat, and they used apple tree wood mostly to smoke their meat with, and they, uh, that Martin sugar cure salt was is pretty expensive, and uh, they try to be pretty conservative if they can. They have to, I guess, in order to make it in one and make ends meet and clear a profit too. But they would buy a five-pound sack of sugar, a five-pound sack of salt, to mix, make it equal 50% of one and 50% of the other, and use that <coughs> to cure their meat with, and they pack it down tight in boxes. They called it pickle in its own juice. And they, they packed them in boxes for, I believe, about three weeks, if I remember a lot. Garrison helped me fix one of mine over there one time. I left it in their cooler for, I believe it was three weeks time. But the way I used it here, just by the Martin smoke sugar cure salt, and on the benches of the smokehouse, spread a very liberal amount on them boards. Mm -hmm. That's for the skin part of the meat to lay on, you know. Yeah. And then simply pour it on the rest of it. Rub it in. Rub it in with your hands, that's right. And you keep, not just uh, pure salt, it, it probably possible to get too much of it. But what do you, you mix that, use that prepared preparation? There ain't no danger of you putting too much of it on, the more the better. And let that stay on there for all November, December, and February. And let's scrape it off. Your smokehouse should have, if it ain't got it, should have a wood, uh, earth floor in it. Set you a big old timey dish pan or something similar to it. Right in the center of the room, hang your meat up on nails and the rafters overhead and along the walls too. If you got it hanging out on these rafters, smoke can get all over in and around. But, uh, did you have it in the pot or anything? Did you yeah. have any fire in the pot? Had it in an old discarded dish pan. Uh-huh. Uh, where you've got an earthen floor, you can if you don't mind getting your dirt floor messy. You can just build it on the ground. You didn't want no blaze at all hardly if you could help it. Yeah. How long does it take to smoke it? Well, a week or ten days would do, but I like to be sure, so I always smoke mine about three weeks. Our meat, we cured it out in a smokehouse. It was just a house with a dirt floor, no ceiling or nothing, and we had uh, strips of wood across there that we hung it up on, or shelves that we left the meat laying on. Uh, they cured beef the same way. Dried out our beef instead of... How long did it take for it to cure out? 
about two months, I guess it would take six to eight weeks for it to take salving. How did you salt cure it? I mean, didn't you salt cure it for you to do Back then, they used mostly uh, just plain salt with red pepper and uh, black pepper in it and rubbed it on their meat on both sides and uh, then put it out on the shelf and put corn cobs between each layer. That Sometimes they would make it like three layers high. And then they would go back like in a week or two weeks and turn it over so all the water that it drained in now that was settling would run out. Some people would uh, wrap the hams and shoulders right when they put the salt on it up in brown paper and hang it up in sacks and always hang their leg down so it would always drain out through it. As you heard from both of those interviews, curing meat takes a really long time. Curing is any process that preserves meat and it's most often salt curing. So the basic science behind it is salt and pepper, smoke, um, sugar. sometimes sugar, yeah, yeah and, and then some kind of nitrate. nitrate, yeah. yeah. And you don't have to have nitrate from what I was reading. A lot of the recipes from Southern Appalachia um, didn't initially use nitrate or saltpeter. Um, but nitrate preserves that pink color that we see in our meat. Without right. nitrate, it would be like a super nasty gray color. <laughs> Nobody wants that. No, no, not even not even <laughs> me. I don't think I could do Although, it. You know, I think with, with some smokes, and I'll, I don't know about in the curing process, but I know like just from my own experience in smoking meats, there is some smoke that produces some pink coloration. It'll color, yeah. Um, but the most essential ingredient of all of that is a salt. And the salt draws out water so it slowly dehydrates the meat but it also inhibits microbial growth mm -hmm. by drawing water out of the cells right. of bacteria until it till it can't survive in southern appalachia there's no natural source of salt right. um, and we tell this to all of our tour groups that come through salt doesn't actually the salt that we use in cooking doesn't actually come from the ocean mm -hmm. it comes from salt mines and so people in the mountains would have to travel um, to basically cities that had access to railroads from which they would get the salt that would come in from the, the mines. Right. So up here, people would literally walk down to Augusta, Georgia, which is 150 miles away, yeah. in order to get salt. Um, so salt is incredibly important in the curing process. Um, and then sugar is really just there to enhance the sweetness and kind of mellow the harshness of the salt. I think most of us today are probably more familiar with a salt and sugar cured meat. Mm -hmm. um, most hams that we eat have right. that sweetness, whether it's brown sugar or honey mm -hmm. ham. Whereas like country ham is so incredibly salty. It's, it's manna from heaven. <laughs> it really is. And I, I don't know how many people, you know, it wasn't anything that ever happened in my family. It was something that I, I took on myself one time. You, when you go into the grocery store in the South, uh, especially around uh, the holidays, you see those, those uh, like cotton sack or, or grain sack. And one year I decided to like, I'm gonna do a country ham for the holidays. And the work that goes into that, you've got to soak that thing for, you know, ideally, 24 hours is the you know suggested but ideally more than that 
like you soak it, you dump the water, you add new water, you soak it longer just to get that, like to get it to where it's edible. Cause that's how much salt they're packing on this meat to salt cure it. And, and when we listen to the interviews and also in the book, people talk about the number of pounds of salt. It's not, you know, it's not like a cup of salt. We're talking yeah, pounds, pounds of salt <laughs> per pig to get enough salt on this thing to cure it. I think the most conservative amount I saw was 10 pounds for a pig. Yes. Which is low. Yes. That is low. And that's still a tremendous amount of salt, especially yeah. if you have to travel great distances to get it. And then even in the, you know, in the more modern age, uh, a lot of our contacts were living in an era where they had grocery stores where things were getting trucked into the area to the grocery store. You could go to the grocery store and buy salt or go to the, uh, the supply store to get salt. You're still spending a lot of money on this on this commodity to to do this in in you know which makes failure even more you know or even less of an option <laughs> you know like it not only are you you know, you're losing your meat but you're losing your money that you put into getting this thing cured so a lot of salt <laughs> that yeah goes into this process but i think that's the closest thing that we in the modern era without doing it ourselves or knowing someone <coughs> who does it can experience what cured meat in the 1800s yes, would have been if, like. And if you have somewhere in your area where you can go get a country ham biscuit, I highly recommend it. Um, it is the finest biscuit, breakfast biscuit. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not recording this as we eat breakfast. I know. I wish. Yeah. We talked about it. Maybe I'll bring in some Tiger Mart biscuits tomorrow. <laughs> don't <laughs> say to, things you don't mean. <laughs> just, to, just to make up for this. Man, yeah. Good, good stuff. So the other common ingredient was red or black pepper, right. and this was partially for flavoring, but um, most of our contacts said that they put red pepper in as an insect repellent, and TJ actually did some digging on this, and red pepper contains um, capsaicins, which is the same active ingredient in pepper spray, Right. and that will actually repel insects because it's is pretty powerful <laughs> right so you know we talk black pepper is you know black pepper corn which is a plant that's completely different but the but the red pepper is actually dried peppers that are then crushed down yeah. red you know the red pepper flakes you put on your pizza whatnot yeah and that's, it's like that's, it's a cayenne yeah it's a cayenne so it still has the the um capsaicin yeah the that actually serves as a deterrent to a lot of insects yeah so that that was another common ingredient and then finally smoke um it, it will accelerate the drying out process, but in this region, smoking was done after curing was complete. And that was, it was primarily just for flavor. Um, right, so, and that and that's something that's important because when people talk about smoking meat now, we're talking about an application of low heat plus smoke, like when we're smoking something in our smoker. That we can the, eat right we, away. Yeah, that we can eat yeah. right away. It's very important to the, to the meat curing process if you want to add smoke that you're not adding heat. It's not about the heat it's just about producing a fire that creates a lot of smoke so it's not really even a fire it's just like yeah and you'll hear that in our yeah, interviews too yeah yep. buck carver talks about it um you just you want to you want to produce as much smoke as possible so you get you know you get some heat there you get some coals there and then you just start putting on green wood and letting that smoke happen and yeah. keeping that going for in buck's case a couple weeks at a time. Three weeks. Three weeks. He yeah. smoked it for three weeks. So, <laughs> but it's really important to keep it at a stable temperature. Um, but unfortunately, nowadays, 
you cannot cure meat in the traditional method. With climate change, there's a lot. Uh, well, and moisture. Right? Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. It's not just the, you know, number of these folks are talking about, you know, it's just too warm right now. Uh, the winters don't stay cold enough long enough or we don't get enough cold days. Uh, they were also experiencing, starting to experience wetter winters. Uh, it's but very the winters, humid environment. Right. But the winters were historically drier uh, and colder. Uh, but then we start seeing... Uh, in some of these interviews as early as the, you know, the 70s, people talking about they just can't do it anymore. Um, they had made some adjustments to their smokehouses. Uh, folks talked about, you know, you want air to be able to pass through it, but then they would line uh, the inside of the smokehouse with a fine, um, uh, a fine screen so that insects could not necessarily get in there. But yeah. at a certain point, it gets, it gets to where it's just not cold enough. Yeah. I mean, that once you cross that temperature threshold, right. you know, to the point where rain is no longer becoming snow, I mean, that when you're curing meat, that makes a huge difference right. because that rain is going to produce, as you said, more, more humidity in a wetter environment that's really detrimental to curing meat. So without further ado, we're going to play these few interview clips for you. The first interview excerpt that we have is from Carl Rogers. Uh, this is a 1975 interview. Um, I personally really love this interview because you can tell they are sitting around a fire. Mm -hmm. You'll hear the crackle of the fire. Yep. And Carl is very soft and slow-spoken, but he's very deliberate about what he says. What was your favorite food? Meat. Oh, we just chewed it out back in. Can't cure it anymore. It gets too hot. We cure meat, beef, and everything else. It keep. Did you ever smoke any of it? Yeah. Yeah, we get a lot of our hog meat. I don't know whether they ever smoked any of the beef or not, but they'd smoke the hog meat most of the time. What would you eat for Sunday dinner? Usually chicken. Have chicken dumplings on Sunday. See the week beans and taters and meat and everything else, just whatever they could. But if you didn't raise it back in what you eat, you didn't have it. Did your mother do all the cooking with some girls to help her? Did y'all help her or what? Well, mother done the most of it, but the, my sister used to help her a lot whenever I had two high sisters. As long as they was home, they'd help her too. Then all of us would help her too. Whenever to be gone, let any of us there to help her out if she needed any help. Who did the butchering? My dad. He done all of it. Also, we got big enough to do it ourselves, and then uh, we had to do it. He turned it over to us. I reckon there ain't nothing I've found I couldn't butcher now, so I had to. 
So this next one is just a short excerpt from Bach, again, um, just underscoring this idea that um, the overall climate here has changed in such a way that these folks are no longer doing this work and doing it, going through these processes because they're, it's just too warm to cure. It necessarily has to be in cool weather or you got to have a cooler or something to put that yeah. in. Uh, it's summertime, it's springtime. The weather is always too doggone warm. Mm -hmm. Now in the fall of the year, <coughs> if, if, in hog kidding time, mm -hmm. if you have two or three weeks of rainy weather, it's sure up on that meat. There's been a many a piece of it that has to be thrown away on account of the atmospheric uh, being too damp, you know, and too warm. Mm -hmm. There's been lots of meat loss on that account. Okay, and this final excerpt is from a 1975 interview with Icy Rickman, and she is recalling in the past um, what her and her family and her husband's family did with their smokehouse. And she really highlights the uh, community aspect of it, but then again returns to the notion that you, you just can't do it anymore. You see that log house up there? That's their smokehouse. They had big old boxes and they put it in it, cure it. Uh, can you remember, you know, when it was time to kill hogs and everything, what happened at your home when y'all did that? They had, we killed them long in November. They'd, they'd go by the moon. They had a certain time of the moon they killed hogs. Back then, like, Folks did, don't do different then than they do now. They go and people go in and help them, you know. Their neighbors would go and help them kill hogs. Help one another. And then they'd kill them and saw them down the box. They had a big old long box, like. Cure them. But you can't, you can't do meat like that anymore. I've tried it. I don't know, it's just the season. Because I have a hog and I have to um, freeze mine. You can't do it that way anymore. I don't know why. You mean they just won't cure? No, they just, it's just the season, I reckon. You know, it's just the season short and it's just not cold enough to keep it. It's really impactful, I think, when you just stop and think about this for just, you know, just about how large the gap between like our experiences mm -hmm. and their experiences are. Mm -hmm. You know, I have no idea what a heritage breed of pig tastes like. Right. Most people probably don't. Especially one fattened on chestnut. Yeah, that was another <laughs> thing I was going to say. Like, you know, back then pigs were free range. Right. Um, the pigs we eat now are raised on antibiotic and feed, but, you know, the two weeks before the pigs were slaughtered, they would bring them down from the mountains and, as you said, fatten them on chestnut mast, um, which is something, you know, we're essentially never going to know what that tastes like nope. because the American chestnut is now extinct, um, which was a major food source for both humans and animals, and it did have a serious impact on the flavor of the meat. Also, as I mentioned earlier, we, we buy our pork fresh. Um, unless we're getting cured lunch meat or our charcuterie board. Um, and even the smoke meat that we buy from stores is typically just liquid smoke. Right. Um, or if we smoke something, it's going to be, what, 12 to 24 hours tops, mm -hmm. right? Whereas Buck Carver is talking about smoking something for three whole weeks. Right. I mean, 24-7 smoke. Like, I could just, I mean, 
Yeah. It would be like eating firewood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like... <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest differences in taste and flavor is simply our relationship with what's on our plate. Right. If you're waiting two months to eat a piece of meat, like, how is that going to taste different than if I have to wait, you know, till five o'clock to go to the grocery store or wait till 730 tomorrow morning to get a Tiger Mart biscuit? <laughs> you right. know, like, how does that? You've earned it. Yeah. It's comparable to when you get to eat that first tomato out of your garden. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it tastes so much better, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of differences, you know, and it's, it's obviously a lot of stuff to think about and certainly not intended to guilt trip anybody when you're eating your bacon in the morning but you know just in order to place some of some of these interviews that we share in a more modern and contemporary context but you know huge hats off to chefs like Sean Brock who are really trying you know to get some of this stuff back on the table because he does a lot with heritage breeds of pigs yes and curing meats and I think the work of chefs like Sean, um, hopefully, you know, people will be inspired by this cookbook, but if you can just get folks thinking about it and then having conversations about it, um, that's where real change starts. Yeah. And and just, you know, like, how can, how can we, you know, what, what small steps can we make to be more in tune with the things that we're eating? So that being said, if you happen to... (laughs) start curing your own meat please let us know and share share some of your experiences with that so i hope you all enjoyed this podcast i think it's something a little bit different um and i hope that you all will visit our website and check out some of the additional resources that we shared with you um, especially if you're interested in curing meat or learning more about heritage breeds of pork um i definitely recommend picking up an edition of the cookbook and reading the chapter that'll have um, the full interview with Buck Carver um, and some other expanded excerpts on smokehouses and curing meat. That's, ch- that's chapter five. <laughs> <laughs> and it is literally labeled yeah. the smokehouse, so yeah. you can't miss it. Um, and absolutely, if you cure meat, if you enjoy cured meat, definitely reach out to us on social media. Um, on Twitter at it still lives one or on Instagram at foxfire.org or foxfire.org um, or send us an email and that's it still lives at foxfire.org. You know, we really want to hear from you guys. Um, we hope that you enjoy the podcast we're putting out. TJ and I have a propensity to select foodways <laughs> topics um, <laughs> because of personal interest, but we're really hoping to bring you guys an herbalism podcast this fall. Um, as well as some other more varied topics. But if there's something that you're really interested in, um, please reach out to us and we'll do our best to try to work that into our episode schedule. And uh, yeah, just thank y'all so much and uh, we'll, we'll see you next month. that you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>